and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where we are in the middle of the first of the seasonal doldrums. <laughs> to say that there was no news this week, I think, is actually an understatement. Yeah. You know, the, the reality is, though, is much as we dread these blank spots in the calendar, and they're going to get worse this year before they get better— the teams, especially coming off of the four straight flyer flyaway races, really need, need this it. downtime. They need it. D- did you happen to see? I think it was on um, Formula One's website. They talked about what Force India does in this downtime to get ready for the European season. Yes, actually, I read that article. I was fascinated by it because they talked a lot about the fact that they shipped the car back in parts. So they broke it down into the parts at the track. Right. um, And then shipped it back in parts. And that was one less step they had to do once it arrived. Because apparently they repaint the whole car during this downtime. They repaint the car. They rebuild the whole car. Because I guess normally a car during the European season may get repainted three or or the, the European legs of the season may get repainted three or four times. But because of those first four races are all on the other side of the world, they, don't they get, can't do that. They don't get painted at all. So they get bits and pieces painted or they um, or they get new bits on it yeah. or they you know try to clean them up as best they can. But they're pretty rough on those cars. Which you wouldn't know by watching them on TV. I mean, no. they look pretty good. So Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's minute <clears throat> details. However, you know, we know that changing the formula of the paint can affect the speed of the car. Yes. So... That was an interesting article. I highly suggest anybody that's interested in the minutia of Formula One or the magic behind the show should read that article. Well, I'm going to assume that if you're listening to us, you're kind of interested in some of that minutia because that's where we tend to dive. Well, yeah, because we geek out on that kind of thing. We do. (laughs) It's fun to watch. It's fun to see how the orchestration happens. So apparently in the sucking vacuum of silence that has happened over the last two weeks, we've had a debate, at least in Europe, there's been a debate that has popped up over possibly changing the start times of the races with Claire Williams possibly even suggesting that they, instead of having the current two-hour limit on a race, to go down to just an hour. Really? With what advantage? The idea being that for audiences and the way families live their lives nowadays that, you know, to have it a little later in the day as people are settling in for the evening and not dominating most of the afternoon, um, maybe that would fix the viewership issues. That's not their problem. No. (laughs) And honestly – I'm I'm not sure. I mean, we watch a lot of the races in the evening because that's when typically we can finally get them downloaded and formatted and ready to watch. But And when we can sit everybody down to watch them, too. So we fit them into our lives. We have that luxury because we don't tend to watch them live being on the other side of the world. But there's also the fact that when we sit down to watch the coverage – that does kind of take over everything for two, three, four hours. 
And that's assuming we don't watch the red button coverage. Right. Like we had the red button coverage. Maybe we have the red button coverage. Maybe we don't have the red button coverage. BBC, you just don't know now, do you? They will someday. (laughs) Are you ready for the wrap-up of the news? Can I have five minutes to go through every piece of news that has happened in last week? The remaining stories of the story? week. Story? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so apparently Fernando Alonso has been t- hinting that he might retire. Ron Dennis says he will be serving out his entire three-year contract. Starting to sound like a prison term to me. Well, I don't know. From what I've heard, working from working as a driver for Ron Dennis might actually be a prison term to some. Could be. Hey, did you know that Iran is planning a Formula One circuit? Right. According to the country's vice president, they are. Actually, okay, let's let's think about Formula One and what they do. This sounds like something that Bernie would be all over (laughs) because it would be so politically and culturally tone deaf that it's just his thing. Be all over it. Hey, uh, Pastor Maldonado thinks he's going to get into the points at some point because he's had a, and I quote, complicated start to his season. No, 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 that that that's complicated start to his career. <laughs> I, I'm sure Pastor will get points this season. It would be a big stretch for him not to, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, he, well, at least he's not turning around saying he's going to be podiums and challenging for the front or any of that other stuff. And, you know, as we are about to be reminded next week, Barcelona is the home of Pastor Maldonado's one and only win. We may hear that a few times next week. <clears throat> Speaking of Lotus, their other driver, Roman Grosjean, ate fruit this morning for breakfast. Wow. <laughs> Um, it appears that he had some blackberries, blueberries, kiwi, um, some pineapple, maybe some raspberries. I don't see strawberries, but possibly. You know, that that's almost as bad as, what was it, three years ago, four years ago, when we were waiting on the overhyped, ridiculous decision of whether or not LeBron James would stay in Cleveland, that the news shows, because they had nothing better to report on, were giving us the weather forecast at LeBron's house. Yes. I wish I was kidding. Um, <laughs> sadly, this was actually uh, Roman who tweeted a picture of his breakfast this morning and said it was the perfect way to start a Sunday. I find that a little funny considering, you know, races are on Sundays and you would think as a racing driver, the best way to start a day on a Sunday would be, oh, to go racing. Well, well maybe that's how he normally starts a race Sunday. Could be. He could be, you know, showing us the secret sauce. Yeah. Um, I'm going to wrap these fabulous stories up here in just a second. But um, did you see Lewis's tweeted picture of him sitting on his 1966 427 Shelby Cobra? I did on Facebook. Yes. Well, apparently, he's, this picture is taken in Malibu. And um, his Fans are mocking him on Twitter for looking an awful lot like Will Smith in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So has he responded to any of said mocking? I do not see anything that says that he uh, responded. Hmm. 
I don't know. I I wasn't really seeing a Fresh Prince vibe. It was definitely a. It it's is his rock star look that he that he likes to cultivate. Yeah, but it's a very late eighties, early nineties look. The the t shirt with the cut off sleeves, the jeans that you know taper real tight to his ankles and are ripped up to no end. Very you know, hat turned around backwards. He looks like a punk. Yeah. Um, hey, one of Sauber's former drivers, uh, Mark Serrar, from Switzerland, um, he drove in the 80s, so I know you know him very well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, he was back. involved in a horseback riding accident, and Sauber wishes him well. Okay. Speaking of Sauber, because, <laughs> you know, in, in the ridiculousness, ridiculousness that comes out of team principals' mouths— so Manisha Keltenborn apparently this past week called for a revolution in the Formula One rules. A revolution. Yes. Major changes that need to happen because the sport's in so much trouble. You know which rules we're talking about. The ones that she voted for. Oh. Like every other team principal. And yes, every time a team principal comes out and makes this call that, oh, we need to change the rules, we're going to call them out because these are the rules that they put into place. Oh, exactly. Just thought I would throw that out there. And then I have one more thing to a little chat about. Um, I found this kind of interesting rundown on a few of the records that have the potential of being broken pretty soon. Or interesting tidbits. Youngest ever F1 driver to, to drive in a European F1 race? Um, well, Max has already got that. But however, if Max were to make it on to the podium and win a race by November of 2018, <clears throat> he would beat Vettel's record. Okay, so he's got at least a little bit of a window there. Right. Now, Daniel Kvyat has only got about 67 more days. Mm. So he's he's getting closer. Um, of interesting note, it's been forty two races since Jensen has and McLaren have won a race. See now that's painful. Um, the la- Button was the last driver of the Honda's last victory, which was in August of two thousand six. Well, that we knew, a- along with you know their last. Actually, no. They weren't Honda when they when uh, Jensen won that world championship. Mm-mm. Now, I believe that we, was Barth F one. We know that since winning <clears throat> the two thousand and eight Brazilian Grand Prix, uh, Felipe Massa has entered one hundred and ten races without standing on the top step. I'm not sure that's a statistic you want to brag about. No, it gets better. He is really close. To beating the record holder for the most number of days between wins. If Massa were able to win the Canadian Grand Prix, but nothing before then, or anything after the Canadian Grand Prix, it would break uh, Ricardo Patrese's record of of 2,402 days between wins. Yeah, I'm not sure that's a record you really want to tout. None of these records are things you want to tout, but we're going okay. to tout them anyway. Okay. Vettel's last pole position was the 2013 Brazilian Grand Prix. 
That was 23 races ago. That I'm sure he's not happy about. Now, he only needs to have one more win to equal Ayrton Senna's uh, 41 wins and move to a joint third place on the list of the most victories. And Lewis is also closing in on that, that record as well. Lewis may actually make it before Seb at this rate. Well, Seb only needs one. Lewis <coughs> needs five more. Mm. Both of which could make that number this year. Yeah, absolutely. So it's definitely possible. Um, and we all know that Lewis is bidding to be the 10th man in history to be a triple world champion. Mm-hmm. Now, Raikkonen has recorded the second most fastest laps of all time. I thought it was kind of an interesting stat. Schumacher have the, have the first? Um, he's, yes, he's, <coughs> Schumacher has the first at 77. He's, Raikkonen is currently tied with Alan Prost, who has 41. Okay. Um, we talked about Verstappen being the youngest ever because that's, and you know something? Next weekend when they run in Brazil, we already know that he will be the youngest driver to ever drive the Brazilian, uh, the, not Brazilian, the Barcelona Grand Prix. Yeah, I, I was wondering yeah, about that. I just sped up the entire season right there. Yeah. Um, and Sauber is on course to become only the sixth constructor to notch 400 entries. The team should reach this milestone by Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, only Ferrari, McLaren, Williams, and Lotus, the real Lotus, <laughs> and Tyrell, uh, Tyrell have ever have entered more. You know, and I think that says a lot for Sauber as a team, mm-hmm. that they have managed, especially considering for the last few years they've been an independent team. They have not had – originally it was BMW Sauber, and BMW walked away. And the fact that Peter Sauber has been able to – keep that team around and yeah it's been struggling a bit to be able to survive for that long that's impressive it really is um now a couple of little wrap-up pieces Haas Racing has started to um make some news for itself nothing earth-shattering they are really aiming to not be a b-level team upon entry into f1 I don't think anybody aims well, for that level. I think that there's an understanding that you start at the bottom, you move your way up, but they're trying to – they want to qualify 12th and 13th and end in the points is where they think that they fall. They will fall. Well, I don't know. You know, with, with the way the Ferrari engine is running, there's that possibility if you have a decently designed car. Well, you say that. They not only have a deal for the Ferrari engine, but they are also using some little-known piece of the rules um, to leverage other parts from Ferrari. Basically, they're getting everything they can get from Ferrari under the rules. So they're going to be a B team. They're going to be a B (laughs) Ferrari team. Which is kind of what we expected, is that they're going to come in and, and be Ferrari's B team. Right. And then the last thing was a couple of days ago, Ron Dennis sat down to discuss the Honda McLaren woes. And he declared, and I know this is going to shock you, that the competition should be very concerned about the partnership between McLaren and Honda because they are innovating left and right. Because if he had turned around and said, yeah, we pretty much have no idea what the heck we're doing, it he, it would have been bigger news. Yeah. We would have had actual <laughs> news. 
Um, well, you know, based on the statements that have been made in the last two or three weeks, there is a very high expectation for McLaren to do something incredible in Barcelona. And there is a decent expectation that Lotus should also do something incredible. Well, both of those things are true. Um, what I found the most fascinating about this interview, and truly so much of it was posturing, you kind of ignore half of it. But the one statement that Ron made that I found interesting was it was called out about the success that McLaren had had having the Mercedes engine. I mean, Lewis's mm-hmm. world championship, um, <clears throat> Button's world championship. No, that wasn't. Uh... Oh, that wasn't there. It was. Um, Button had had great success there, but they had had really good success in McLaren yeah. um, with the Mercedes engine. And Ron Dennis said that there is a very big difference between having an engine partner and being an engine customer. Yes. And that when the shift got made with Mercedes, that they became a customer and not a partner is when things fell apart for Mercedes. And that that is why this is so awesome, super, super awesome. And they're so much happier now with their new boy, new BFF Honda um, because they uh, are partners with Honda, not customers. Well, you know, if, if you look at what happened, there were a couple of people. One, when Mercedes entered the actual series as a, a competitor and not as just a constructor, within, it was, I think, 23. 13 or 2014, um, they started charging McLaren for their engine. McLaren used to get their engines from Mercedes for nothing. Right. So that was a big jump in cost. But at the same time that they started charging McLaren for engines, they also started poaching McLaren for talent. <laughs> right. And, uh, and that was back when Mercedes decided to see who they could hire from anyone and everywhere. And Well, I think they took like what? Every team boss they could grab and gave them different things. Team bosses, engineering directors, technical directors. Yeah. So, you know, the brain trust that Mercedes bought for themselves, because that's really what they did, is they bought themselves a brain trust. That has really put them up ahead. Mm -hmm. All right. Now I am done with all the news that's fit to print. Yeah. You know, with everything being so light, we, we... when we first started the show, we, we admitted that, and I mean the the very beginning of the show, not just this episode. Um, I was wondering if we were talking about, you know, just a few minutes ago, let's reminisce immediately. Yeah. No, but when we first started, we talked that there were other topics that were going to creep in every so often because we were going to hit these doldrums, and this is one of those times. So if you are just listening for Formula One stuff and that's all you care about, you can stop now. If you've been waiting on uh, for us to talk about other stuff, this is a part of the show that you have been waiting for for 11 episodes. Here it comes. Whoa. You set the <laughs> bar really high for that. Because I know where you're going, and I fear that the person that's waited 11 episodes for us to talk about anything except Formula One is going to be sorely disappointed. Well, the fact that they're still listening to us, they're beyond disappointment at this point. So. <laughs> <laughs> So today, on The Bloke and the Bird, we're going to tell you about our thermostat. All right. To, to, 
yes, everyone's like, oh, thermostat, just shut it all off. Who cares at this point? But no, there, there's, you know, we have our bloke in the bird test lab where we have been testing stuff. This is the first item that we brought into the newly redesigned and revamped and developed and better. Our redesigned test lab, we put paint on the walls and rearranged the deck chairs. What redesigned test lab? Well, no, it, it's now more efficiently heated and cooled. <laughs> <laughs> I told you we're going to talk about a thermostat. <laughs> you are about to listen to 45 minutes on a thermostat. No, it's not going to be quite that much. And we, there's a real good reason to talk about this thermostat. And especially because it's not the nest. No, it's not the nest. Um, the first item that we brought into the test lab was the Ecobee Smart Thermostat. The could be three. Yes. That is a very important differentiation there. Um, You know, the Ness gets all the hype. It's the one that has gotten all the press. It's the one that everybody thinks is the new hotness. And we looked at it. We looked really close when we wanted to revamp. We we had a quote-unquote smart thermostat before, which was basically – your average programmable thermostat that you could get in Home Depot, but it had Wi-Fi on it. Right. Um, so we could make adjustments from afar, but it wasn't reacting to what was going on in the home at any given time. Yeah, it did not have that, and which was kind of surprising because it was tied into the alarm system. And the alarm system, you know, you'd think that it could judge the states on the alarm system and adjust, but that wasn't the case. No. So the reason why we went with the Ecobee as opposed to the the Nest was because both of these thermostats and the higher-end Honeywells that are out now, they have a sensor built in so that they can tell whether or not you're in the home or not. The reality is, though, most homes that I've been in, ours is not an exception, have the thermostat located in a location of the house that people typically don't spend time in. So how is it that the thermostat can accurately make that determination as to whether or not you're home to adjust the temps and and do all the programming and stuff like that? We also have another challenge, which I believe is common in a lot of homes, um, but not universally common. Mm -hmm. We are a multi-floor home, and the temperature variation, we aren't heated and cooled separately on the different floors, the temperature variation from where our thermostat lives and where we are and where like we sleep mm-hmm. is completely different. And yeah. trying to adjust the thermostat to make the adjustment upstairs at night was very difficult. Yeah, it was pretty much impossible. So the Ecobee 3 ships out of the box when you if you just buy it standard with a remote sensor specifically for that purpose. True. Um, no, it is their what their standard package is one sensor, and then you can go with the smarter bundle is what they call, oh. which is an additional two sensors for three total. The the Ecobee can support up to I believe it's thirty nine total sensors. Now your average home you might need two, maybe three. We've got three, and I think we really only need two. Um, the Nest, by comparison, you can do that now through the Wally sensor kit and through the Nest Protect smoke alarms. 
However, it's an added cost for those. The Wally kit's about 70 bucks for, I think, one or two sensors, and the Nest Protect is, is close to 100 bucks. You can get add-on sensors in a two-pack for $70 right. from Ecobee. It's fantastic. They're little itty-bitty sensors. Um, getting them set up and configured is all a matter of standing in front of the thermostat, pulling the tape on the back of the uh, the sensor so that the battery, battery makes contact. And then the Nest goes, hey. Yeah, Ecobee. I, or, or excuse me. The Ecobee says, hey, I just discovered this sensor. What do you want to call it? And you just scroll through the preset choices, which can cover all of the rooms in your house. And you go and you put the sensor where it needs to go, and you're done. Mm-hmm. Now, so the first sensor that we got, we put up in our bedroom because our bedroom gets warm at night. And what the Ecobee does is it takes the temperature from the sensor, detects that you're in that room, and averages the temperature in the house between the sensors where it detects people. Mm -hmm. So first thing in the morning, for example... It knows that there are people in the bedroom, but knows that there are no people in our family room where there's another sensor. So it does not average our temperature between the family room and our bedroom. It just uses our bedroom temperature. And you can also turn around and tell it um, to ignore some sensors during certain certain times. So this past winter when things were really cold and we were concerned about it getting too cold down in the basement, even though we weren't down in the basement – we made sure that it was always including the basement temperature in the average so that we could always make sure that there was enough heat going down there. Once that cold snap ended, we didn't really need to go and cool the rest of the house or even factor in the temperature in the basement to the temperature in the rest of the house. So we told it, okay, know that the sensor is there, and but other than that, don't worry about it, Right, which is nice. Um. But in the mornings, like when I go downstairs, it detects me in the family room and it will start to make the adjustments based on the fact that it now knows that there's somebody upstairs and somebody downstairs, which I like a lot. Now, you may be thinking, okay, how do I, you know, how hard is this to install? This is pretty complex. In reality, it's, it's not very difficult. We did it. For most in, most installations, you don't need to be an AC guy, and we're definitely not AC people. Mm-mm. You don't even need to do a whole lot with electronics or anything like that. What you'll want to do is you'll want to go ahead and take off your current thermostat. Just unplug it from the wall. Leave the wires that are there. And hopefully the wires are labeled. Mm-hmm. And if the wires are labeled, you'll head over to the Ecobee site, and you can check compatibility to make sure that – um, it'll work, and it's the same thing with Nest. They have a similar thing. Those wires tell the thermostat what functions are available, what type of furnace you have, all or, or heat pump or AC or whatever that you've got. Now you may be thinking, "Oh, I've got a really old system. It, it's not. It's not two stage. It's it's super simple." In reality, the old systems that are super simple like that, those are the ones these smart thermostats like the best. Because they're the least amount of complication. They can handle the two-stage stuff easily and manage them. Um, we ran into some problems because things weren't as well-labeled as it appeared to be. Well, we had an added complication in that we have a home that's a bit older. Mm-hmm. It used to be an all-electric home, which meant we used to have a heat pump. Yes. And so all of the wires that went to our thermostat were actually originally labeled for heat pump. Mm-hmm. 
organization, which is very different than what our furnace needs. Yes. And so once we figured out, why does it keep telling us we have a heat pump? Oh, wait, <laughs> let's change this wire to over here. And then suddenly everything worked perfectly. Now, the one thing you will need to be on alert for if you're going to try and install it yourself, especially if you have an older older furnace or heat pump or you know heating and air conditioning system, is that on the newer systems, there is a wire that is specifically for sending power to these smart thermostats or even the programmable thermostats. Some of them require them. If that wire is not there, the Ecobee has a provision so that you can run an AC power adapter up to it. I don't know what the Nest does, but other than that, at that point, you may need to get either an electrician or uh, an HVAC guy involved to do the installation at that point to get that wire there. That's something to be aware of. If you've got that wire, and I believe it's, don't quote me on this, I believe it's called a C wire. If that wire is there, you've got power, and you can hook this up without a problem. Otherwise, you need to come up with a way to bring power to it. Now, one of the other features that I like about both the Nest and the Ecobee is they are pretty. They are. <laughs> they are, and I think that was what got the Nest its original attention was that look, the ergonomics of, of the Nest is so much better than anything that had come before it. The Ecobee doesn't look anything like the Nest. It looks like a rounded square. It's a squircle. A squirrel. Squircle. Squircle. Okay. Yes, a square circle. Yes, it's a square circle. <laughs> um, it has got a color OLED display on it, um, which when it's in sleep mode will display the current temperature in the house. And thanks to its new update, um, the outside temperature ba- and uh, a quick look at the weather. So whether it's sunny or clear or cloudy or any, that is on the display. All you need to do to wake it up, if you need to change settings or whatever, wave your hand in front of it. You don't even need to touch. Just wave your hand in front of it. It wakes the thermostat up, and you've got uh, full access to the the um, settings for you know that that you would expect it to be. Oh. But you don't even have to go into your dining room where our Ecobee lives and interact with it hanging on the wall. That might be, you know, difficult. You could, you know, not want to walk all the Mm -hmm. way into the dining room. It also has an an iPhone app, I'm sure an Android app. It now has an iWatch app. It is now official. Oh, my. So it has an app. an Apple Watch. Yes. It's not an iWatch. It's an Apple Watch. Um, It has an app. That gives you all the capabilities of standing right in front of the the thermostat on your phone. And this is actually somewhat new for them. Um, until their most recent update that had come out, you had all the ability to manage the thermostat with the exception of the sensors. Right. That has now changed, and you can now access the sensors, not even from your phone, but through their website as well. And if you are a data and numbers geek, their website will give you all kinds of information on your consumption, um, estimated savings based on various set points of your temperatures and stuff like that. So you can determine what your energy costs and how much you're saving with this this thermostat. But the nice thing about this thermostat, and the Nest is probably pretty similar with its app as well, it has got to be one of the easiest to program thermostats out there. Oh, yeah. And that's the nice thing about the, this latest generation of smart thermostats is, you know, programming the old programmable thermostats was a pain in the butt. 
typically you needed a book. It wasn't very intuitive. It wasn't smart. It was, okay, do I press this button four times or do I press it eight times? And what does the blinking CAL light mean? And <laughs> PC load letter. What, you know. <laughs> I don't think it did that. But it was a pain. And so you never wanted to change it. So the way to change temperatures and such was to change it manually for the hold period. Yeah, and which then... totally defeated the purpose. And... Right. And see, here's the thing. So you can... Give the Ecobee a, a schedule. You can say, in general, I'm awake at this hour, I leave the house at this mm-hmm. hour, I come home at this hour, and I go to bed at this hour. And that's all it needs to know. And that's in general, and I do this these days, and on Saturdays, I sleep in, and I don't do this, you know, and you change it for the weekends or whatever. But because the sensors are there to know whether or not you're around or home, you don't have to go interact with the Ecobee just because you're home. Yep. Um, we had, we've had it through the winter. There were some snow days. Our son was home during those snow days. We would go and check to see what the Ecobee thought was going on, and it said, somebody's home. So it went to a home schedule. Yeah, and it did it automatically, no tweaking. You can program in, you're going on vacation, program in based on actual calendar days as mm-hmm. opposed to odd button presses and stuff like that when you're going to be on vacation and set that up. And then there's some other new functionality that Ecobee rolled out about, what, two months ago? The the one downside to the Ecobee as initially set up is that it doesn't tie in well or it didn't tie in well to the home automation systems like the the Belkin Wemo system or the Wink that we have. Right. However, they just announced about two months ago support for the if this then that standard. Right. And if you haven't played with this, it's a very neat website. Um, head over to ifttt.com, and there's a companion iPhone app or an Android app or smartphone apps that go along with the website. And through ifttt.com, you build what are known as recipes. Basically, it's just like the description there. If this condition happens, which you define, do this. So you can turn around and say, build something within the if this, then at, if this, then that ecosystem that says, okay, I open my front door which has a door sensor that's tied into Wink. And when I open my front door, change the setting on the thermostat to home. And it'll automatically do it. Um, Because both iPhone and Android support this, and their location tracking supports it, you can say, when I'm within five miles of my home, Set set it to home. Or when I depart from within five miles of my home, set it to away. Right. I think that's really cool. And the if then if this then that uh, protocol is so incredibly powerful, and it's incredibly easy to use. There's a lot of really well, there, there's a lot of pre-made stuff already baked in. Um, you know, it took me all of two seconds to turn around, activate the service, and say, okay, whenever the the thermostat send switches between smart home and smart away, send me an alert, hmm. and it pushes an alert to me on my phone. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, 
and it doesn't just work between thermostats and the home automation systems. I mean, it does. It can tie into your fitness trackers. Mm-hmm. There could be, you know, oh, I would really love it if, um, you know, every time I did something, something happened at home. I, I don't know what that would be, but you know, you could do all of those things. Um, there is the, the number of, and they call them channels, which are individual service providers. There is something like, I think, two or three hundred different channels. And they were some of them were very surprising to me. Oh, well, you've got Facebook. You've got Fitbit. You've got um, Gmail and Google Calendar and Instagram, um, InStyle Magazine, Last.fm. Um, Nest has, has channels on here. Uh, obviously, the Ecobee, which we've been talking about, uh, why things in their, their smart things ecosystem. Um, and then, of course, there's the Wink Eggminder and the Wink Porkfolio and Wink Spotter. Wemo supports it. WordPress supports it. I mean, I could go on. I mean, kind of think about it in terms of if you make a blog post, it would start a timer in your house or something. Well, there was through one of the news sites and through Wink, there was if the uh, market moves a certain percent, in mm-hmm. one day, turn on all the lights. Oh, wow. There was a better one, though. There was a, a whole lot more useful, and actually, I like this. It was tied into the Nest Protect that said, if the Nest Protect alarms, for whatever reason, turn on all the lights. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I have seen some other people that set up their home automation systems in such a way that, you know, between certain hours, if there was detected motion um at the front door, for mm-hmm. example, turn on all the lights. Yeah. So that the idea if the door starts to move at, you know, when they're in on away mode. And if you think about it, you could really do that. If the sensors detect a smart away, flip that piece to say, then if the door moves, turn on all the lights. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can do it at night so that then the house looks like somebody has woken up. Mm-hmm. And you can deter a burglar that way. Well, there's also ones that are set up through um, one of the home alarm things, not like an ADT one. This is that don't have the centralized monitoring. This is if you put in your own alarm and do those notifications. But through if this then then if this then that you can have it set up if an alarm condition triggers, you get a notification on your mobile devices Mm. so that you know that something has happened in the home. Wow. I mean, in a sort of a way, when you first look at it, it's an incredible time suck because you start to sit down and go down the rabbit trail of, oh, what else could I do? What else could I tie together? What else are... And you start thinking about, well, what is the next most logical thing I do? Can I put a, a wink sensor that detects motion on top of my washing machine and when the washing machine or the dryer stops, turn on my iron? Or as – and this recipe already exists, the Little Bits Electronics uh, system, which is basically like snap circuits but a lot more intelligent. Mm-hmm. They've got a recipe that is made and through the sensors that they have that – you put it's designed that you put the sensor that you build onto your washing machine 
and when it detects that your washing machine has buzzed, it sends you a text that says that, hey, the laundry cycle's done. Yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a cool thing, especially if your house and you, the laundry is down in the basement? Yep. And you don't need to go down there every few minutes to check or, you know, if you have laundry machines like ours that they say 15 minutes is left, but it could be 15, it could be 25. So, back to the, the Ecobee. Yes. The last bits that we have we should mention. the If you decide to get the Ecobee just with the single sensor, that's 249 from Ecobee itself, although Which it's Which is about, shockingly the same price as the Nest. Is it now? I believe. With, without a sensor. Without a sensor. Um, available... From anywhere from Amazon to we've seen it at Best Buy. We got ours at the Apple store, tried <laughs> out the, the app, and that was interesting buying it in the store. Um, and then they have their Smarter Bundle, which is uh, only available online that I've seen. That is the Ecobee with, that, that has, comes with its standard sensor, plus it's bundled with two additional sensors. You get that for $313. Um, so basically that's $15 off of buying the two pack of sensors separately. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's a really interesting and cool smart thermometer thermostat. And as a family that we've lived here, what, seven years now? And we've had four thermostats. Yeah. Okay. To put that where that has come from. Okay. We had our, our, electric heat system we replaced that went to the gas system when they did that they replaced the thermostat to go with that then we decided that we wanted everything to be a little smarter so we changed the alarm system to a a smart system and and that came with the low-end crummy honeywell if you're going to go with the honeywell don't go with the the low-end one you need to look at the mid or the high-end version um but truly we like the ecobee and then well Okay, so then we also decided that through our alarm company, we were paying a monthly fee for the home automation pieces. And that as we learned, work. and we, as we learned more about what we wanted in home automation, we realized that we could buy the pieces outright, not pay a monthly fee, mm -hmm. and get all of the all the pieces that we wanted as we wanted them. Yeah. And we would then be in control of making sure they worked and that type of thing. Um, when we canceled the home automation portion with our alarm company, we had to change out the, the thermostat again, and that's when we went to the Ecobee. So yeah. that's why four thermostats in seven years. So we kind of gone through this a few times. <laughs> One thing I can tell you is that in four thermostats, we've never been able to keep our bedroom cool enough at night because heat rises. Yes. Until we started going with the Ecobee. And it still gets warm at certain points. I mean, it's not going to stop heat rising. We haven't been roasted out of the room but as often. Right. And it has, it's done a better job of keeping up with it and, you know, getting ahead of it. Yeah. And I think is the way to put it. The other thing, I did a quick check. Because this past winter was just as cold as the prior winter. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to take a look because Ecobee will tell us that we've saved something like $75 in our heating yeah, and cooling, cooling what bills. What does that really mean? What does that really mean? So I took a look at what our monthly gas bills were because those were exclusive, pretty much exclusively furnace mm -hmm. um, for winter last year versus winter this year. On average, 
our monthly bill was around $20 cheaper per month. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Now, I can tell you that with the prior system, I kept it at a pretty severe, you know, dropping it down to 62 yeah. and, you know, trying to keep it fairly, you know, not letting it get too warm because, you know, it was just being burning gas. Mm-hmm. The Ecobee, we've kept it at a very comfortable temperature in the house. <laughs> but because it's monitoring where we are, and it's not sending air to just where we are, but it's keeping the house at a comfortable level all the time. The other thing is, I think the Ecobee uses our two-stage system more efficiently. Absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, the Ecobee is very much aware that it's a two And one of the things that we were told when we put in our two-stage system was that the fan was supposed to run a lot more, and it, because of that, it was going to be more efficient. Mm-hmm. The reality is I don't think that we had a thermostat that was able to manage that fan properly until we had the Ecobee put in. And again, this ties back into what we were talking about with the wires. The wires, having the appropriate wires go up to the Ecobee is essential because it tells the Ecobee exactly what kind of furnace it's dealing with or heat pump or whatever. Right. And I think that some of it is that we have, we let the Ecobee manage how often the fan runs, Mm -hmm. how often it's running each of those two stages. And our prior thermostats, we kept the fan on like all the time. Yeah. And let it try to decide what stage to to use. And I don't think it used the second stage efficiently like the Ecobee will to warm the house up quickly and then run the fan to just circulate the air through a few times. Now, there is one other thing I should mention about the Ecobee before we wrap up. And this is something that we have not seen in action yet because the weather hasn't gotten there. But theoretically, the Ecobee is so smart that as we start to warm up, it will realize on its own, hey, I need to stop trying to heat the house and flip to AC. Excellent. I'm looking forward to seeing that. We're going to let it go and see it do it for itself, that we don't have to tell it. Now, there's a threshold temperature that you set that, okay, once the temperature is beyond this point, start trying cooling instead of heating but it'll be interesting because it's the first thermostat that we've ever had and there's not too many thermostats that i've seen that do that well and you would think that i mean thermostats have been around for a long time Mm -hmm. you would think that somebody along the way would have figured out how to make a programmable thermostat go okay if the outside air temperature is x don't try to heat the house anymore yeah so, coming out of the test labs, would you give this a thumbs up, or a thumbs down, or thumb in the middle? Oh, this is a thumbs up. Well, I know that since I pay the bills, I give it a thumbs up. <laughs> so, that's two thumbs up from the bloke and the bird in the test labs. Until we come up with a better standard than thumbs. But, you know, for now, that's what's going to work. Right now, it's thumbs. Next time we pull something out of the test lab, it might be toes. I don't know. Dog's heads or dog's butts? No, no dog's heads, dog's butts. (laughs) Um, Wagging tails, maybe? Um, I don't know. But we highly recommend the Ecobee 3. If somebody's in the market for a thermostat, take a look at it and see if it doesn't meet your needs. Yeah. 
But uh, I think that's all we have. I, I, I surfed around to see if there was any show. you know, breaking F1 news, but sadly, there's not. Now, guess what? We have a race next week. We have a race next week. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> we will be back in Barcelona. Now, some little known facts. Well, about- F1 will be back in Barcelona. We haven't been there yet. And we're not going this time either. So, But little known fact about Barcelona, I just want yeah, – because we're going to hear this a lot. I want to make sure everybody's prepared for it. Maldonado won a race in <laughs> Barcelona. <laughs> Also the site of Williams' last Formula One victory. Aww. There you go. All right. So on that, I guess we will remind you that we are uh, up on uh, iTunes and over on Stitcher. Please leave us a review. We have none. We need a few reviews. Let us know if we're doing something right. or Better yet, leave us a comment on a blog and let us know if we're doing something wrong. Let us know if we're doing something right over on <laughs> iTunes and Stitcher. But over on the blog, you can tell us if we're doing something wrong. And, yes, I will publish the comments. Yay. Remember, the blog is, is over at uh, www.theblokeandabird.com. Mm-hmm. Don't go to blokeandabird.com anymore. That's Yeah, we don't like that guy. <laughs> Somebody Stole squatting. our damn domain. Um, <laughs> And we're also over on Facebook at uh, Bloke and a Bird Show. Yes, we are. Um, but until next week and a new race. Yes. I think we'll call it a show. Yes.